Stay hungry, stay foolish. If you're a shaper, you put your stamp on your work. You earn your stripes. You sink with a rhythm of life that lights you up. At times, work may be a frightening obstacle, but shapers move through adversity with temperament and tenacity. A determination to continually improve and evolve. A willingness to experiment and learn from mistakes. To create on the fly. To work fluidly. To persevere and to be patient in equal measure. To nourish the soul. A shaper is someone who becomes energized by work. The way they work provides the highest expression of self. They lead deeper and more fulfilling lives because what they do every day serves them and the greater good. We welcome the author of Shapers, Reinvent the Way You Work and Change the Future, Jonas Altman. Welcome to the show. Aidan, what a pleasure to be here uh, to talk about life and work and nature, and I'm excited for our conversation. I have great news for our audience. I have a copy up for grabs. If you just sign up to the innovationshow.io newsletter, I'll give away a copy of the book there. Jonas, jump straight into this because we have so much to get through. I thought I'd tee you up to share the story of Manny and explain what a shaper is with this beautiful quote that you start the book with by Jane Goodall. What you do makes a difference and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. Over to you. Wow, that's beautiful. Uh, I could talk about Manny for a long time, and the funny thing is he was so resistant for me to tell his story. He's just one of those people who's like, I'm good, like, don't worry about it. And I was persistent because I knew there was something that what you just read, that passage, putting your stamp on your work, uh, injecting a part of your soul into what you do, um, and in many ways having that craftsperson type approach what even if you're a knowledge worker or you know not making surfboards so a shaper typically is a surfboard shaper who shapes surfboards for surfers uh, the industry has gone through a crazy transformation from the 60s where you could actually make a silhouette very much like or a, a shape like a 3d printer and then you could just batch it and make tons of them which is what they do often in Australia and other places. Uh, Manny lives in a small town called Lucadia, which is north of San Diego. And he's a sort of a local celebrity because every surfboard he makes is specific for the person. So he's made a surfboard for the um, actor Jonah Hill. He's made one for me. He's making another one for me. And he always looks at what is the body type? What is the spiritual style? What is the surf style? Of that person. So anyway, I co-opted the name with his blessing and I democratized it to say that anyone can be a shaper if they take some of the qualities, which is being energized by what you do, um, seeing work as a practice, expressing yourself creatively, and in many ways serving the greater good or doing something beyond yourself so you can lose or dissolve your ego. And Manny kind of epitomizes that. I was reminded as well of a Bruce Lee quote that I love that only dawned on me after I read the book. I, I actually, I, I sent you my notes really to yeah. show you I did my homework, but I, I, I came up with this quote because it, it just, it made me think of a shaper is somebody who will move with the changing environment. So the, the workplace is changing, the, the, the environment's changing but their mindset needs to be fluid and flexible as well. And this quote is beautiful. You'll love this, man, if you haven't heard it. Be like water, making its way through cracks. Do not be assertive, but adjust to the object and you shall find a way around or through it. If nothing within you stays rigid, outward things will disclose themselves. Empty your mind, be formless, shapeless like water. If you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle and it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Bruce Lee quote that I thought absolutely epitomized the idea of being a shaper. Yeah, and you know what's beautiful about that is you use the word formless right when we started and it, I wrote it down and I just knew that quote as be like water like because it's too long. 
and you know, this last year and a bit, the uh, skill du jour, the way of dancing and the unknown of, of knowing that you can navigate the uh, ambiguity and the opaqueness of work and life has become kind of a, 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 a capability that everyone needs to cultivate. And so people like you and me who have in many ways created a lifestyle that relies on being in the liminal space and on, on the fringe has a, maybe a head start, arguably, maybe not, but if so, maybe I'm delusional. It's sort of like, how do I navigate uh, the world and the world of work like water? And the mindset is like, I think, a very powerful thing in terms of um, almost uh, acting yourself into new ways of thinking. Let's share your story as well, because you're a shaper and you discovered that your own approach to work was crushing your soul. So you got out of that. And for those people watching us on YouTube, you have a beautiful backdrop there. I mentioned to you when we connected the sequoia trees in nature yeah. and you're feeling that now you've created a life and as you said, and work that actually brings you to life. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You have a book on your podcast and the last word in the title is burnout. It's like, da, 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 burnout. And uh, I did a workshop last week. I was a participant and and the woman invited me to say, well, why don't you find someone or some people who have hit the mental exhaustion, become cynics in their, in, in their work or how they see themselves in their work. And uh, the World Health Organization calls burnout an occupational phenomenon. It is not a medical condition. So we kind of get in our own way and our to-do list never ends and we, quote unquote, burn out. It's a sort of a modern conundrum. Before you get eaten by a bear. I just saw a bear yesterday. Like that was your worry. Uh, anyway, so I, I burnt out in London. Like I actually hit the point where I, 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 my friends and, and even myself, uh, I was aware that I was depleted. You know, people, you know, you can kind of see like the, the life force has left you and people start to notice like, you know, um, it could be, uh, you're just tired, uh, sort of a fractured way of working or living where your, your energy is not directed in an intentional way. So, you know, I was younger and I was living in a, in a fast paced city. Um, and I think the support of some really good friends and family and maybe hitting that point, which uh, my coach says, getting knocked off your horse, which is different than having a pebble in your shoe. It's sort of irritating. Yeah, work is not so good, but you know, I got the I got the footy, or I got this, or you know, I got a good friend that I work with. Like, so you're sort of getting by, or it's okay. I'm a little bit unreasonable, and I always wanted to derive or extract joy or meaning from work, which is a whole other conversation. We can get into that. So I did a little pivot there, which changed the tra trajectory of my career and my life, which looked like. Um, in many ways, stopping, you know, to use your language, stopping to be a pirate, waving the flag of being a shit disturber and a misfit inside an organization and running a, a, a business with someone who had a totally different value system than me and starting to look inwards of like, what do I really enjoy doing? And that beautiful term from Japan, Ikigai, maybe it has currency, maybe the thing that I'm actually good at and that I enjoy could be in the ballpark of a way I can make a living, which is, you know, there's a lot of literature around that's a bad idea too. Uh, but that's what I started to explore. And I went and visited Manny uh, and I went surfing and I started to be like, okay, I, I, I judged him. I thought he dropped out of society and kind of became a hermit, but instead he just simplified his life, decided what was important, his wife, his dogs, his friends, his surfboard, and being a pillar in his community, and everything just fell into place. And he moved like water, like he was literally like a ninja. Uh, so yeah, so I kind of got influenced by him. And I think it's an aspiration. Uh, I, I don't, I have a, a, maybe a little bit of a resistance to call myself a shaper with the same force as a surfboard shaper. But in terms of shaping my work life, I can own that because that's what I've been doing for seven, eight years now.
when you said there about falling off the horse, I, I think often about that, that many people experience that, what you experienced, and they they feel judged by it. They feel shame and fear and everything, even. And I often think, man, that if you think of, of, of life and your life force as a divining rod, you know, those divining rods where you look for water. And, and I think sometimes those experiences are the universe saying to you, this isn't for you. You know, the, the, I, I'm, you know, it's like, give me a sign, yeah. any sign. And it starts raining thunder and lightning and everything. I'm like, on any sign. <laughs> and, and the universe is going, I told you 50 times already, because I keep putting obstacles in your way and you need to read them. And, and I go back to the water thing and Bruce Lee, the water doesn't stop at a rock. It goes around it or it, it, over time it erodes it. But the energy expended in eroding the rock could be much better utilized somewhere else. And I think sometimes the universe is telling people you need to look elsewhere. And yes. knowing what you don't want is valuable because knowing what you don't yep. want is, is almost failing your way to success. Well said. Yeah. I mean, that's what people ask me now because I, I, I teach a course at the university and a student who got I mean, she aced her presentation. Like I was looking at what advice to give her because she was asking, you know, I'm really enjoying marketing and storytelling, but I'm on this business uh, sort of MBA route to go work at say, you know, whatever, one of the big four, big five firms. And I haven't replied to her yet. And I'm, I'm kind of like reluctant to, but one thing that comes up is you got to try on a lot of different things. So sort of fail your way to success or find out what you don't want to do. And so she's doing that already. So I'm like, keep doing that. Like if, if marketing and, and storytelling seems more aligned with you and this sort of commerce route being account accountant doesn't, this is a great time to experiment given that you have that sort of luxury or safety net for the next few years. So it's, it's an interesting sort of strategy to prototype, and hack your way to your sort of career versus having this linear kind of trajectory. You mentioned students there, I lecture as well, and I find the students sometimes they're not even living their own life. They're living a life that they think other people expect of them, whether it be parents or friends. And then like Manny's and Jonas's of the world and Aiden's of the world who go, actually, no, I'm not doing this. There's there's a stigma that's starting to fade with that where where there's there was there's often a judgment of kind of going oh what sure I don't know what that guy is doing you know and and once you don't care about that it's so liberating when when you actually don't care what people think anymore but I want to get to meaning Jonas because yeah. you you start right up there with meaning and you say as shapers we pursue our vision for fulfilling work because it impacts every aspect of our lives and the lives of those around us. And shapers know that happiness is perpetually in flux while meaning persists over time. I think this is really important that aiming for happiness is is a fool's errand in some way because happiness is in flux all the time. But having yes. meaning as that kind of gravitational force to pull you towards something is a whole different yes. ballgame. I'd love if you'd share some thoughts on that. Yeah, such a beautiful question. Um. You know, I, I'm looking at nature right now, and a, and a good example would be this. It's from sociology, and it's a term that um, plants can bind light. It's their source of energy. And humans can bind time. We can reflect into the past, and we can project into the future, and I can be with he, I can be here with you now. So if we had to, like, you do a, a mapping or a analysis of happiness or, or over meaning or in, in comparison to meaning, you could say that meaning transcends time. You reflect back on a holiday or on an experience and you have nostalgia or melancholy and you anticipate summer or, you know, going to Spain and having a sangria. Um, and that's a unique human quality. At least that's what scientists, you know, maybe dolphins project like, oh, I'm going to go and hang out over there. But generally, um, that's a beautiful thing. And when we think about how we project meaning onto something, a lot of it back to our mindset and psychology is 
Oh, how's work going? Oh, I'm working on a really great project. It's making a big difference. Oh, that sounds like you're fulfilled or you, know, you start to use those words. Whereas when you're seeking happiness, I use the example of ice cream because I love ice cream. It's fleeting. It's ephemeral. It's um, something you feel like you can possess as, a spo- as opposed to a sustained state or way of being and moving through the world. And so, you know, there's a lot of literature around, um, you know, uh, I, I guess logotherapy from Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, often we're looking to get it from things like enlightenment, wisdom, love, creative works, but a lot of it has to do with our inner world and our inner state. So going and searching for it externally, back to your quote, uh, that comment before about caring what other people think, it reminded me of Quincy Jones's uh, quote of not one ounce of um, my self-worth is dependent on your acceptance of me. He'll do whatever he needs to make a good track or to express himself. And, and even his daughters, Rashida Jones, is probably an ultimate shaper where she's like a comedian and an actress and a, uh, an activist. She's, she just doesn't care. She's formless. So you're seeing people out there that are uh, Michelle Obama. It's like, I, I need to get people to start eating healthy. If people started eating healthy, we wouldn't be in such a terrible state that we're in in, in America and in the world. Um, so yeah, so it's uh, I'm very passionate about it. And I spend a lot of time trying to figure out for other people what might be their path. And I always come back to another beautiful quote of there is the path you're on is perfect. Just don't hesitate as you go. Like if, if you're on that path, go like do it. Uh, you're eating raisins, eat raisins. You're having a podcast, do it. And that's hard for a lot of people because of, and including myself of the inner voices, resistance, saboteurs, get in the way you get in your own way. And you're like, well, maybe I should get more training before I apply for the job. Maybe I need a little bit more money before I quit. And meaning becomes this thing we've gotten enamored with. And here's the big sort of, uh, I guess, philosophical or or, uh, conundrum is why is work a place that we're looking to extract or find meaning from in the first place? It used to be the church, the mosque or the synagogue. So um, I try to talk a little bit about that, but that's that's a long, long sort of meandering way of saying we are there. Work is some is a place that many people want to feel sense of fulfillment, joy, and energy. Feel free to meander, man. I I go down rabbit holes the whole time. We'll we'll meander we'll meander like that river going around rocks as we go throughout today's show, right? So let's agree to that. But you mentioned work there because you dedicate early chapters to the the history of work in a way. But yes. I really wanted to share an extract that I that I loved. You said the word for work in Greek is ponos. It originates from the Latin poena, meaning sorrow. <laughs> the ancient yeah. Greeks, as well as the Hebrews and medieval Christians, viewed work as a curse. At its base, work was pain and drudgery. As a religious responsibility, work allowed little room for self-expression. And I, I that spoke to me for many reasons because our definition of work has changed. And I think this is why the idea of being a shaper and being formless and using meaning as that gravitational force or the divining rod to find what you're meant to be doing on the planet is really important. But unfortunately, for the majority of the world, work is still ponos. It's still drudgery and slavery. Yes. And, you know, the shackles seem to be coming off. I mean, uh, one caveat is to talk about... um, uh, low-paying or low-skilled work, which is routine and repetitive, which is in many ways factory work, and um, the migration from the factory to the office or from the machine uh, on the assembly line to the keyboard, if that's uh, something that we can entertain is happening or has happened, the conundrum is all the questions of like, am I going to be a UX designer, a social media marketer, an influencer, a YouTuber, uh, a data scientist. It's like so many things you could do from your computer 
with Wi-Fi and COVID cracked that wide open. And a lot of existential uh, angst or residue is there that people didn't have time to navel gaze because they were too busy going to and from work or dropping the kids off. And all of a sudden, it's like I'm stuck in this loop in a Groundhog Day for more introspection and contemplation. So we're back to, okay, that's great. We get to explore and investigate what would it look like to shift or shape my career in a meaningful way or in a purposeful way, which is great to start entertaining that. Yet it never really works like you just change your ticket. It's not like you're in a casino and you can just be like, I'm going to go play this slot machine. It, you, you almost have to like try on different working identities, lose your rugby identity as the sportsman and move into the innovation guru. It doesn't happen like, it's like a mixtape, right? It's usually there's a fade and there's a minute where you're like, what song is this? It's both. And then the next thing you know, you're onto the, you know, the bumping BBE house track. So I look at it as like, what is the working identity and the space in between careers or jobs uh, not being awkward or uncomfortable, but actually a necessary path like Bruce Lee's water that you're going to do probably three, four, or five times in your life if you're born like after 1980. It's just become a fact. And so this becomes learning how to learn, learning how to grow, doing the work on yourself, doing the work on others, which is basically self-awareness of being aware of your relation to others, which is from Esther Perel, your connection to nature and resetting. This is all part of work. So when people say I'm doing the work, it's like, but are you getting paid for it? And you're like, no, I'm doing the things that actually are going to help me to do what I need to do back to your vessel and vehicle to be the, the conduit. I think of lightning that can, that can translate, which is a word that a lot of people use between what is, what is now the reality and what could be the reality what is now the status quo and what could be if we entertain or test out alternative futures. The thing I love there, man, is the, the, the middle part, like the mixtape analogy. I love it. Yeah. That it's always messy in the middle between one jump from where you are to the next jump to, to the, from one career to the next, from one persona to the next. I love, I love the word persona. It's, it comes from the Greek and it, it refers to the masks that actors used to wear in the ancient plays where they mm. play several people at once. And the persona is the mask. And and yes. Carl Jung then adopted it to psychology as these masks we wear in society. Now, we have to wear masks like that sometimes in order to not come across too crazily. And by the way, I, I always wear a pin that tries to reflect each show. And, and the pin, I don't know if you can see it, is a a lady peeling off her mask. And I was like, yes, that's the one I'm going to use for Jonas. I like that. Yeah. I can't see the detail. I thought it was like an Irish sort of no, man. Know, ceremonial thing. There, there we are. Oh, okay. Spaceship Earth, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So, very cool. So, so I want to move on to this because because what you talk about is in the book is is shapers as as individuals, but then also that the workplace needs to shape and become formless. And and we had the brilliant uh, Bob Johansson on the show before from the Institute of the Future and, and his book, Full Spectrum Thinking. He talked about this concept called the, the shape-shifting organization, that the organization needs to sh shift and shape-shift to fit the new environment. And you talk about, and we've many human resources and learning and development listeners of the show and um they deal with an archaic system in some ways. And you talk about inhumane resources and say yes. when traditional labor orientated jobs gave way to knowledge based ones, most corporations did not upgrade their recruitment incentives. Some started to individualize rewards, giving each employee an opportunity to tailor a benefits package, but few reorientated towards the seismic shift in the marketplace. I think that's a really important point that if we're upgrading ourselves, the system, the environment needs to upgrade with us. Yeah. I mean, you know, so there's a couple of things to say there. One is HR itself has gone through uh, reinvention and it's typically now called in sexy companies, people and culture, onboarding, um, offboarding, 
events, experience, learning and development, in effect, a marketing function. It's always been a marketing function is come work for Google, come work for Apple, come work for our startup. And the um, idea of a formless or amorphous organization is one that can cater to the individuality of the uh, person, but also to the shared power of the collective, which is a tension between autonomy and alignment, between networks and hierarchy, between openness and secrecy. And so some of the smartest and most powerful organizations have either moved to some form of self-management, which is giving more uh, dignity and say freedom to the worker, but also treating people as assets and talent as talent, as opposed to resources to be managed and exploited like coal. There's an idea of um, presenting yourself in everyday life. So I didn't know we were recording, uh, but I put on this, which is a, a, a shirt that was at the surf shop. And I was like, oh, plaid, like that was out of style and it's in style. But I didn't know we were recording. And then when you said we're going to be recording video, I all of a sudden moved into a different form of like, oh, you know, how do I look? Like, am I presentable as an author or as a thinker or as a human? And so when I think about losing our masks, it's not that we like are just raw and, and you don't conform. It's that you don't lose your essence. Aiden walks into the, the corporate strategy meeting and you command the power that is the consultant that they're paying you for external expertise. And you play that, but you play that like the instrument you're in your own way. And so I think there's a, a, a sort of a dance that is done between asserting yourself and who you are and sinking to the tribe. Yeah, the tribe's an interesting one. I, I had a brilliant guest on the show before, and he, and he, he talked about this amazing, because I know nature's really important to you. Dexter Diaz, great name, right? And his book... Yeah, his book's, off the tongue. Oh, it's a great name. And uh, his book is called The Ten Types of Human, and he was, ba he was basically describing how we can do horrific things and, and what leads to those things. But there was a beautiful idea he talked about, a lady called, I'm thinking, Dr. Marion Wong, I think her name was. And she studied goby fishes, goby fish, right, in, in Australia, off the coast of Australia. And what she found was that gobies maintained a hierarchy of size, right? So they were exactly the same size, smaller than the, the more, the higher goby in, in the hierarchy. And the reason they did, and they self-regulated, man, because say, for example, I started to put on weight as a goby fish, I'd self-regulate and starve myself a little bit to get my weight down. And the reason was they paid a price to be part of the tribe. And if you stepped above your station, you would be ejected from the tribe and you'd be eaten by another bigger fish. And I thought about that and I went, that is the price we pay for working in organizations. But for, for many of our listeners who work in organizations like that, they are shapers or they're pirates in the Navy. But... There's a price you pay for the safety and the regular income, etc. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I really want to make sure that's clear. There's nothing wrong with that. But you you will always be looking for greener pastures elsewhere. It's difficult because many people have mortgages. They have, you know, kids to, to pay for college, particularly in places like the States where the fees are horrific. So... There's nothing wrong with that. But as you say, you can be a shaper and you can maintain your essence. You can maintain ethics, etc. And this is why I think meaning in an organization like that, if you can find that meaning or find it elsewhere and bring it into work some way, it's really important. So you, you can be like that mixtape you talked about where you're playing a bit of jazz and a bit of reggae at once. But, but not over each other. You know, you, you kind of sometimes, you know, go between both and do a little mixtape with your mixer and you're scratching, scratching uh, over them. But you need to maintain your essence because if you don't, I actually believe that it leads to sickness and ill health. And ultimately, you know, you're out of sync with who you really are. Yeah, and I want to riff on that. You know, if, you're, if anyone's listening that's looking for the business case, there's no need for looking any further that diversity is good business. That's like known. 
There's no need to look any further that curiosity is a superpower and asking generous and powerful questions uh, versus being a Mr. Know-it or Mrs. Know-it-all. But when you look at engagement, the biggest indicator of engagement is the sense of making meaningful progress in your work. If you feel you're making meaningful progress in your work, your mental health increases, your collaboration quotient increases, your creativity increases, your productivity increases, and the bottom line of the company goes up. So it's not just like, oh, it would be nice for people to feel connected to their work. It's a necessity. I'm thinking here about how the organization needs to shape shift itself. So it needs to be a shaper organization. And I love this. You said, so you mentioned pirates in the Navy. Companies want misfits. They want these agitators. They want the change makers. They want the entrepreneurs. Yet they want to hire them in the old fashioned way. And the way they want revolutionaries, yet they want their most conservative leaders to identify them. And a conservative leader, the head of the Navy, for example, an admiral in the Navy, isn't going to welcome a pirate because they're going to see them as a threat to the order of the status quo. I mean, it's pretty much what you just said about the fish, which is beautiful. Um, you know, you could look at it as like almost a cost-benefit analysis of like eat or be eaten or disrupt or be disrupted. So what do we have, what do we stand to lose by not hiring or at least collaborating with shit disturbers, uh, pirates and mavericks. And if you look at uh, Netflix's uh, net prize challenge for their algorithm, as an example, you know, the smartest people in the world aren't working at our company. How do we harness their intelligence? Uh, Procter and Gamble, there's tons of companies that do open innovation. Well, IDO. So they kind of got the ticket that the misfits and the pirates don't have to be full-time employees, arguably. If they are, it's a certain type of person that, and you've talked about this in your podcast, that can rub up and, and instill change within as a participatory event as opposed to a lone wolf. I did not thrive as an entrepreneur at the university because I only had a certain resistance that I could get to, and then I was like, I'm out. I think it was like two two to three years. And I was like, I've done as much as I can do with the skills and resource, inner resources that I have. And I can honestly say that I would then be ineffective. Whereas other people um, might have a shorter bandwidth or much longer. I mean, the change happens some, for people like five, 10 years in that organization. So I, I really believe that the entrepreneur is often not as celebrated as the entrepreneur, obviously, for a lot of um, reasons. But also that, yeah, having someone who is uh, risk adverse identify people who are risk friendly and then giving them a high five and a fist pump is crazy. crazy. <laughs> like, like, that's not happening. Come on and cannibalize us. Come on. Yeah. Like, come, on. come on. Just chop my head off. It's like that bug that eats after sex eats the other bugs. <laughs> well, I had fun, you know. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, I, I was thinking about that because. There's a few list regular listeners to the show, and I'm not, I'm not going to name them, but they've recently left big corporate organizations they worked in, and I know I know by interactions with them that they felt in a way they'd failed, and I think it's really important. And I, I was talk, the the show you mentioned about burnout was a, a great show uh, about catalysts. A lady mm. called Shannon Lucas, great great episode, and. We talked about this because I had this myself in that because you nailed it. You can only do so much and give so much of yourself. And and let's go back to the water analogy, which we didn't plan, by the way. We're totally Miles, David, Miles Davidson uh, this with our with our jazz freestyle. But the, the whole idea is you can only meander as water around so many rocks and then you, you may come to a dam. And, and you can't get through that. And if you keep persisting, it's going to just take your life force away. And I think that's a really important point. And that those people that experience that don't see it as a judgment of themselves. They did their very best. They brought it as far as they possibly could and be happy to have the experience, learn from it. The road, you know, you mentioned about falling off the horse, those road yeah. to Damascus moments where you actually go brush yourself off and go, okay, what can I now, what can I bring from this 
and what assets are in the ashes of that experience that I can bring on to my next mixtape song that I'm going to bring in. Maybe it's drum and bass this time. You know, it's beautiful because in some ways that's the definition of confidence and quiet confidence and self-leadership, the ability to fall off your horse, fail, pick yourself back up and keep going is, you know, you can call it resilience. You can call it grit. Um, it's a, it's a, cer a certain type of person that doesn't sit around and become a victim and start blaming. And when you talked about this uh, idea of the river again and then getting to the dam, it kind of reminds me of like the strategies that people can employ when they're in an organization and they have the safety net or the veil of security. Do you job craft and try to turn the job you have into one you love? That's possible. You can do that through shaping your tasks, shaping your relationships, or sort of updating your mindset. Maybe it's time to hit eject and off to the next episode, the next track. Um, and also Peter Drucker talks about parallel careers. So maybe it's actually you still work in the organization or with the organization, but in a, a new incarnation, a consultant, part-time job sharing, or you move from HR to marketing or from legal to A&R, you know, and, and so it's become a little bit more um, opaque and, and, and uncertain of like, what does the relationship look like between workers and their organization? And statistics are showing that close to half the economy are, are, are filing more than one employer on their tax form, which means they're freelancers or, you know, freelancers, they, they sell their time to more than one organization at the same time. The important point you make here, because you distinguish between a shaper and a hustler, because yeah. there's a lot of, you know, work yourself to the bone here 24 seven, you know, type of mentality out there. And that's entirely wrong because working around the clock and wearing an always on badge with pride is the mark of a hustler. There is no time to turn off when you're so turned on as the hustler claims. The saner strategy, as you say, of the shaper is to intentionally full, funnel the working spirit, toiling and bursts, followed by rest and reflection. That really spoke to me because a couple of weeks ago, we had the brilliant Barbara Oakley on the show. And she her, her book was called Learn Like a Pro. And she has one of the most ever downloaded uh, courses on Coursera and it's free by the way it's called learn how to learn and she talked hey. about this and behind me you'll see I have a Pomodoro Pomodoro timer I, I use this um, for for my deep work because I do bursts of 25 on five minutes off and Barbara told us the science behind that because your brain during those periods of break of the five minute breaks parts of your brain speak to each other. So say, for example, I was learning something, I was reading something. When I take that five minutes off and I don't go and check my WhatsApp or my, my LinkedIn or my Facebook, whatever floats your boat, when I don't do that, instead I walk to the bathroom or I do a press-up or I have a cup of tea, during that moment, your brain actually goes, hey, the stuff that you were learning there, this is what, what it's about. And, and your brain's actually communicating within itself and, it, and I thought about that as an analogy or, or a metaphor for that's actually what you're talking about from a workplace environment, that it's not just about the learning aspect of that. It's about the energy management of that is so important. We don't think of institutions as having tacit knowledge or, um, you know, institutionalized behavior and ways of, of operating, um, sharing information and letting things simmer. So at the individual level, uh, it's probably worth saying, yes, people are like, I do, I do time batching. I do deep work. I, I work in bursts and, and it's kind of, maybe it's sexy for some people to like say it. And then it's another thing to make it like a practice, like brushing your teeth. So I couldn't have written the book without doing it. It was six days a week, nine 30 to 11 30 every day writing, without fail. It was almost like instead of Seinfeld saying, instead of Seinfeld who writes a joke or keeps writing jokes and then rips them up. And it's kind of like, you just keep doing it or streakers that run every day. You don't do it daily ish. 
it becomes a deliberate practice. So whatever is right for someone, it could be Pomodoro technique, it could be binary where they work for two days or three days in about a three or four hour session, then they take a full day off and go for walks or something. But I think that's a very valid point for now, which is my deep work and my rhythms don't work anymore because of COVID or my age or my environment. So I need to hack it and experiment to say, well, if I can't get what I used to get in because my muscles, my cognitive muscles are depleted because we're all grieving and we're all going through a mass shift in our psychology, then what is generous for myself? Morning walks. Start off with an hour morning walk and then open my computer, whatever it might be. So I did that on Monday. And then to your point about the institution, I wonder if there's an invitation or an opportunity to use technology, because you talked about um, this in the pirate show, that people have conflated technology and innovation. Technology ideally should nudge or reinforce human behavior. It doesn't necessarily need to mean like everyone's moving to Slack. Slack, which is a Vancouver-based company which moved to San Francisco, in many ways is the bane of many people's existence. So those notifications that were coming on weren't Slack, but the same thing. I can't be on a podcast with notifications going on. Same way, I need to get work done. I don't need to over-engineer and be present on 15 different channels to show the mask of a professional worker who's working in their kitchen with their kid homeschooling and their cat eating from the cat litter. And so that's what happened is people got to like, what utility does this have? Is it assaulting or taking away from my creative work or knowledge work? And you're uh, already you know ahead of the game because you have to, because you work for yourself. You, your currency is to be able to translate and take this, these books and this theory and this knowledge and life experience and package it so that it lands and helps mindsets and, and behavior change. Alternatively, you could just stay in an organization and be in a sort of a cesspool back to our water of just regurgitating the same things, which is take it forward, quarterly reports. What does that look like? Let's parking lot that. And it's all the jargon that we hear that doesn't mean anything. You mentioned this in when we first connected, the, the idea of theory X and theory Y. And um, yes. this is an important one, I thought, the, the management styles. And this was the work of social psychologist Douglas McGregor. I'd love if you'd share these two distinct types. I, I, I would be more enamored with why, because it's more open, participatory, empathetic. It's sort of the Brene Brown modern day female energy. And X would be more mandated, con- command and control, hierarchical, kind of the way, you know, corporate America, Fortune 500 companies say work. And Jeff Bezos, in many ways, embodies both, if you think about it. So Amazon Fire, which was their phone, billions of dollars that he or the company invested in to make the the phone, total failure. The gem of that is it became speech recognition for Alexa. And that, in some ways, is why leadership of giving money, resources, and a runway to fail and then innovate. Yet, if you watch sort of his sort of behavior with um, warehouses and micromanaging and controlling and everyone becoming back to your beautiful fish analogy, the same, an Amazonian, it's very much X. So it's not like you're an X or Y leader. Ricardo Semler from from Semco would be a Y. He fired all the the, uh, leaders and he let everyone set their own salaries and set their own agendas. And so, and it worked really well. I'm sure if you think about it or if you speak to him, not that I have, there's elements of him that showed um, X style leadership. Same, same with the Tony Zay, rest, rest in peace. And, and when he set up uh, Holacracy at Zappos, you know, he, he was still the boss. He still was like, this is what we're doing. Um, but in many ways, he was trying to give uh, autonomy and treat adults like adults. So, I, I believe that theory why more participatory, more sharing of power, more collective intelligence, uh, making faster and better decisions is the way of the future. But X, which is more hierarchical and command and control, is still necessary. 
And there's a brilliant book, which I haven't read, Trillion Dollar Coach, which, which has a slide or a, a page of like all leaders need to be excellent managers and then people will also follow them and they'll be leaders. You can't be necessarily a great leader without also having been a good manager. And it kind of was like a, a moment for me because I'm not a great manager. I'm too mavericky. So I'm like, you know, you know what to do and go. And it's like, no, I'm looking for direction. Maybe they're a recent graduate. Um, and so there's a, a beautiful dance, I think, between theory Y and theory X that we're seeing in the workplace. So I wanted to share because I didn't know this and I think it's brilliant. You mentioned Zappos there. Antonio Zaid may rest in peace. Uh, you, you mentioned when they hire somebody and the person realizes, oh, this isn't for me, they actually pay them to leave. I thought that was brilliant. It's sort of like, um, you know, there's this thing of hire slow and fire fast. It's like, back to you know relational energy. I have a, a, a friend in Australia and he's having a tough time with a colleague or with someone he's hired. And it's, it's almost like the energy and life force of him is being sucked in trying to make this person conform to the, to the school of fish. And so either he needs to fire her and say, I'm going to give you the dignity to go and work in a place where you'll flourish or invite her to, to, to self-regulate, to use your term. And so I think with Zappos, it's like self-management or holacracy, and they're not the exact same thing, isn't for anyone. That's why about 30% of the people said, I'm good, I'm going to leave. But if you want to bring your whole self to work and you're willing to be emotional and vulnerable and aren't kind of concerned with your job title as opposed to outcomes, it might be a place that you'll thrive amongst all the other things. Like, do you want to sell shoes online? It, you know, that's a, another whole story. So I, I, I believe that's a beautiful thing. And the other little cool thing was that the person that would pick up the interviewee at the airport in Las Vegas would be also part of the interview process to be like, is this person a kind soul? Is this person the kind of person that if they answered the phone for a customer, they would represent our best intentions or are they a brilliant jerk? Jonas, we could play jazz all day, podcast jazz, <laughs> but we, we, won't, uh, we won't have time. So you, are, you offer a Shaper Manifesto at the end of the book, right? And I was going to quote from that, and I thought, that's too easy, Aiden, that's too easy. Find a nugget in there, in there that I wanted to share, and I really love this one. Before I leave it, because it's my parting message, something that I love from the book, where can people find out more about your workshops? Where can people find out about you, your book, etc.? Thanks for that. Uh, they can go to shapers.life on the old internet. And there they will find some free chapters of the book, uh, wherever they can order the book, local bookstore or the big bookstore. And uh, from there, there's also a program that we're offering, which is starting next week again. And then hopefully at some point we'll be in real life, which is an eight week program that takes people through a journey much deeper with a great gang of facilitators and coaches and that's shapers.life slash program. Program. Beautiful. I'm going to read this quote here, and then I'd love you to finish today's show with a quote of your own, something that you want to, some message, you as the instrument that wants to impart to our audience. So here I go. Giving life to an unexpressed self takes courage, but the possibility and the reward that awaits has never been riper. There's no time to waste. We can slay those stories that trap ourselves today. The promise of a bigger paycheck or promotion means little if deep down we know we're in shoes we don't wish to fill. While some cling to old ways of working, shapers see the Titanic sinking. We won't, heck no we can't, suppress who we are for the sake of fitting in. Those who fail to speak up or do something about what's really going on in their soul-destroying workplaces suffer devastating side effects, resentment, infighting, poor mental health, physical ailments, the list goes on and on. Worse still, the emotionally toxic residue lingers, bringing it home at night and then lugging it back the next morning in a wicked loop. If this resonates in some way, then ask yourself, what do you have control over? Over to you, Jonas, to close today's show. Thanks for that. You know, this is, this is almost into Buddhism territory of what do we have control over? And to your term, regulate. We can regulate our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. 
We can acknowledge whether something feels off. If it smells like a fish, maybe it is a fish. Back to her. Um, so I think I, I would say one or two things. We're in, a, we're in a time, and we can look into history, where there's a, either a rebuilding, uh, there's been things that have been re- revealed, and people are reconfiguring both their identity, their working identity, and potentially uh, being more discerning with what matters most. And all of this is, a, is, is in many ways a luxury to be able to entertain joy and meaning and fulfillment at work. Back to our uh, you know, drudgery and a, and a one-way ticket to salvation, um, which was what work used to be. So I think the, the sort of nugget was if you have the position to even entertain some of these ideas and some of the things that you just read, there's a sort of a, um, an internal duty to, to give life to it, to give light to it. And so as pro- provocateurs, you and my, myself included, um, it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens as a, a team sport. So lean into your friends uh, lean into people you don't know and and adopt a growth mindset of what does this person have or does this community have that I could benefit from and what do I have to share? And um, this is a really great time to not just entertain new pathways, but to test them out. And so um, I would welcome anyone to uh, follow the path that is right, just don't hesitate as they go, to quote my friend Naveed Akram. Beautiful. Author of Shapers, reinvent the way you work and change the future. Jonas Altman, remain like water, my friend. Thank you. Aiden, it's been a pleasure.